Hey, good to see everybody again. Amen. Wow. Thank you, Pastor Ken. Uh, this is a man of courage and faith, and uh, you are in good hands and you are loved. And uh, man, with those ingredients, I know the Holy Spirit is mighty in this place. I, I'm one of those guys that has a business background, and so I don't like to cross the street unless I've planned it and charted it out. And coming here this weekend, I, I knew that I really had to rest in the Holy Spirit and trust the Lord in some areas, including for what we we're going to talk about this morning. And uh, it wasn't until I got done and actually kind of turned in the PowerPoint uh, that the Holy Spirit said, you know, this word is very specific. I'm like, okay, good. Uh, no, it's very specific for you. And I may not know all the applications. So I'm inviting you ahead of time uh, as I kind of go through some thoughts for you. Uh, be open as our opening word was <laughs> that the Holy Spirit will speak to you. It's the same Holy Spirit in you that's in me, that's in the pastor. It's one spirit, one baptism. And there's one thing that is so encouraging when we travel a bit is that we get to experience the body of Christ in a fuller sense. Uh, and we have felt so at home here and so loved and so cared for. And I, I know that's just evidence of one spirit. It's the same Holy Spirit. So if we ever get to reciprocate, if you're ever in Tacoma, Washington, please come see us. Take me up on that in invitation. We would love to honor you and host you uh, to try to pay back a little bit of how much you have uh, uh, cared for us. Well, you can see by the opening slide, I, I want to kind of loosely talk about this concept that I introduced yesterday of your identity in Christ. Now, people call us the original design ministry. That's uh, not really a term I made up. Uh, that's something that just started happening as we were praying for people. And I, I remember kind of uh, got a life of its own to where I, I was questioning it, and I questioned the Lord. I said, hey, is this right? Is this, you know, it's kind of a, a non-biblical term. Uh, it's a biblical concept, uh, but if you put original design in your concordance, uh, nothing will come up. So it's like, Lord, and the Lord kind of chilled me out, said, no, it's okay. Um, you know, just uh, be at peace and allow people to call you what they want to call you. And that's been good advice. So I, I've, uh, it's been many years now, and I've just kind of really had peace uh, with the concept. But on the other side of the, that coin, uh, I know I use Ephesians 2.10 as a very key word, a key verse, because it's talking about God's masterpiece. And we prayed that over several people yesterday, and it just played out. It is true. You are a masterpiece, God's masterpiece, God's workmanship, and you are beautiful. Now, you may not always feel that way, but God's truth, God's word is what we decided together is going to be the greatest truth in our life. And I see that courage here, and I'm so impressed by that courage here. And it has energized me, it's fueled me. And so uh, we've been um, very grateful to be part of what God has done um, this weekend. But I don't know if you've noticed, um, there's, another, there's another concept here. It says, we're God's masterpiece, for he, is, he has created us uh, anew in Christ Jesus. Now that's quite a concept. I think many times when we're not feeling the top of our game, we're up for becoming new. But this concept in Christ Jesus, uh, this is one that I studied years ago in theology and like, okay, I think I understand it. Not really, I didn't understand it. But this terminology is used consistently and you'll find it in other places in scripture and you and I are in Christ Jesus. Now, if that doesn't blow your mind, how about this concept? Christ Jesus is in you, the believer. 
Now, I'm not going to explain this. I'm going to leave that tension out there for all of us. But I kind of want to roll on a little bit and just let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Because we believe, I think there was a lot of heads nodding, that yes, he's in this place. Yes, he's here. Embodied in each believer in this room. So we have an advantage We have a momentum here that we couldn't have by ourselves. Uh, We are congregated. More Holy Spirit. I know that's not bad. I know that's bad theology. You can argue with me later on that. But the point being, there's more of us here. And I think the Lord wants to do some things with all of us together. Oh, here's another verse. Paul talks about this again in 2 Corinthians. Um, So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. Now, this is a little bit out of context, but he was so consumed with this concept of seeing Christ in everybody that he stopped evaluating with human criteria. And I shared a version of this story yesterday uh, to the group that was here, but I'll I'll share a little more of the full story today. This happened to me years ago. I've lost track. Uh, It's over 10 years ago. But I was working in the outreach and um, a gentleman came in towards the end of the day, towards the end of the week. And he looked bad and he had one of these attitudes that kind of sits down and his body language says, okay, I don't want to be here, uh, but I know you're going to pray for me, right? So go ahead. And so he was acting bad. And I sat down, I'm looking at this and you know, you see that body language and it speaks to you and I'm sitting there going, that guy doesn't want to be here. And then I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to be here. Lord, I'm tired. This guy looks bad, he's acting bad, and he smells bad. And all my senses were going overboard. I was evaluating another human being, another one of God's masterpiece with human terms. It's one of the first times the Lord spoke very directly to me. I, I had enough wherewithal to pray. You know, when I'm in those situations and uh, I'm not feeling good, I, I at least have the sense to say, Lord, how did you do this? How did you minister to people? I'm sure you got tired. You took on human form. I'm sure you cared for people that looked bad, acted bad, and smelled bad. And that was one of the first times I heard the Lord just really directly and succinctly say, well, I can see what I originally designed. And I instantly understood, wow, God is not put off by the things that you and I have to struggle through. He is not um, influenced by sight, at least human sight. He's not influenced by our existence hear, you know, nose, ears, smell. That, that, none of that does he have to navigate through like you and I do. He sees right to the heart of hearts. Do you know at the end of the age when we are with the Lord in his glory and his presence, thousands of us, right? And we're like seeing Jesus. Revelation describes somebody coming right up next to you probably are going to be like I want to see Jesus but then this person right next to you places a white stone in your hand like Jesus is right here right here next to me what's this white stone well there's a lot of meaning in that I don't mean to go into all the meaning of it it definitely means acceptance definitely means not guilty A black stone would mean guilty. But Revelation is clear. It says, he gives you a name that only he knows for you. Your real name, your real identity. Based on that verse, I can tell you, the Lord Jesus Christ knows you better than you know you. Isn't that cool? So you're like, oh, I'm struggling, Lord. I sinned today. You know, I woke up and I don't know what went wrong. It was just like, sin day. Okay. So Jesus, how can you love this hot mess? 
So Lord says, I know the real you. I know you better than you know you. And I'm not influenced by all the things you're influenced by. Get over yourself. Let God love you. Let the God that knows you, that created you, that is his workmanship, that is someday going to place that white stone in your hand personally. And you'll hear that name that you'll know. I am known and I am loved. You know, we pray for a lot of people, uh, not only weekly in our ministry in Tacoma, um, but as we travel a bit. And it's, uh, it's interesting to me, you know, as the Lord speaks and tells us a little bit about people's original design, uh, it's super encouraging, but many times uh, it's very emotional to people. And I'm like, oh, are, are you super encouraged by this? And they're like, well, I'm not even understanding half the things you're saying. <laughs> I go, oh, well, I see some emotion. They go, well, the emotion is just because I thought God forgot about me. I didn't go, no, God knew me. And that's one thing that we get confronted by. And I think when we pray for people, I'm so thrilled when the Holy Spirit does that, says, oh, I know you. And not only do I know you, I haven't forgotten you, and I accept you. I love, love, love you. So at the end of our little service here, our part where we want to pray a little original design over people. If you missed um, yesterday, uh, we won't have time to do a lot, but we'll do um, three or four things that come to mind. And I want to give you an example of that. And this is one of my favorite examples of kind of how, I guess, original design works. Let's call it that. But it's really a prophetic word over a uh, young man named Gideon. And you can read the full account of this in Judges. I'm going to start about chapter 6. And this was interesting in that um, he is basically in hiding. And uh, we see him here uh, um, threshing grain, I guess, preparing it. You get a little insight into Gideon because they were um, a defeated country, so to speak. And... Um, so he must have grown his little crop somewhat in secret already. He, he's a doer. You, you get this much out of it. You know what I mean by that? Sometimes when you're defeated and everything's going wrong and you're thinking, why should I even try? Why should I plant? Why should I sow? These hordes of Midianites are going to come and just steal my crop anyway. I mean, that's tough to get motivated when you're, seems like everything's going wrong. So Gideon apparently was one of these guys that had some self-motivation, but we find him in kind of hiding. He's like, man, I don't, I, don't, I don't want this little crop to get stolen. And then here's the original design part. An angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now that's it. But he hears that, and with his human ears, he's like, yeah. Are you talking to me? <laughs> Who's, no, I haven't heard that. Nobody says that about me. Uh, how, how can you say that about me? Well, let's go on a little bit. And Gideon replied, because here's what caught him. Not his original design, not the mighty hero part, but the Lord is with him. And now we get a little insight into what he had to live with because he's saying like, hey, If the Lord is with me, uh, then why are we in such bad condition here? Um, It says, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why uh, is all this stuff happened to us? And by the way, I should answer that. There's a reason all this stuff happened to them. It's their own darn fault. It's called rebellion. It's called sin. Yeah, that's why God, you know, lifted his protection off of them and say, hey, you don't want to worship me? You want to worship idols and knock yourself out? That's what happens. <laughs> but then, you know, you forget about that and you're feeling the consequences of your own sin. And then you start shaking your fist at God. Why has this happened to me? We kind of forget, don't we? All right, well, Gideon's in that same boat. Why has this happened to us? 
and, and where are all the miracles um, that our ancestors told us about? Now, I can really relate to this because in Gideon's time, uh, all he heard were the Bible stories. I kind of grew up that way. I just heard the stories. I didn't see any of this stuff happen. I didn't experience any of this stuff, but I heard the stories. And actually the people that were telling me the stories didn't experience any of that stuff either. Somebody told them and you had to go back quite a few generations to find anybody that experienced any of this. Well, that's Gideon's life. That's what he was living in. It's like, man, I, I heard this, but where is it? If the Lord is with us, I think he's kind of inferring we could really use a miracle right now because there, there is no answer to this. There is no way out. Let me put a little bookmark right there too. If you are here today and you are hearing this lie, I'm gonna preface it with tell you that it's a lie. If you are hearing this, I'm the only one and there's no way out. That's a lie. And I think all of us have heard a version of that. But if you are here today thinking, oh, man, no, you don't understand my situation. There is no way out. This is for you. Because there is a way. And I remember hearing that lie. And I'm embarrassed to tell you I believed it more than I should have. But at least God opened my eyes and I can see that's a lie. That's the first step. Um, to freedom. All right. So, interesting where he starts to argue with the angel of the Lord. Where are all the miracles? Um, Gideon's first task, and this is kind of to answer that question, was to go and tear down all the idols. Now, his family had idols, his father's house had idols, and you know, the Lord said, mighty hero. He didn't debate that one yet, but he did say, okay, if the Lord's with us, where are the miracles? The Lord said, here, here's your first job. If you want an answer to that, and don't you love the way the Lord answers a question? It's usually not direct. It's usually with another question or a task. It's like, you want that answer? All right, get rid of the idols out of your life. I think that's the application for us. I know when I was working through this, I thought, oh man, this message is for me, for me, for me, for me. It wasn't until I got here, I'm like, oh, I think maybe some other people can benefit too. So <laughs> may the Holy Spirit uh, care for all of us through this. Um, then, guess what? He was supposed to build an altar to the true God. If you are feeling a little overwhelmed, Worship is always a good answer. Um, you need revelation of anything that would be in your heart that is idolatry. The last verse of the epistle of 1 John says, dear children, guard your hearts from anything that will take the place of God in your heart. That's a New Living Translation. Dear children, guard your hearts from idols. That's what an idol is. It, it takes a place of God, where God should be. So clear that out. Worship the true God. You're going to feel darkness leave, light come. That's going to be dramatic right there, first and second step. But now to go on to <laughs> what happened when he did tear down the idols, by the way, and I'm going to have to paraphrase, and so I won't uh, read all this, but um, when the town wakes up and, and realize um, that somebody had uh, torn down the, the idol to Baal, uh, they formed a mob and they wanted to kill whoever did that. Now, these are God's people, but isn't that a little insight into their spiritual condition? Uh, they had idols and not only were they worshiping those idols, but when somebody tore it down, they said, let's uh, kill that person that did that. Now, I would think that Gideon probably had a little bit of trepidation in doing this, um, not only for the townspeople, but this is like his father's idol. 
this would be like us going home uh, to your parents' house and cleaning house and throwing stuff out that might be very valuable to them. And I think he probably had a little question like, uh, how's my dad going to react? And more than that, the sacrifice to God, well, that happened to be one of his dad's bulls. <laughs> so I know that did cost him. <laughs> and I'm sure he's thinking, oh no, is this going to be accepted? Is this not? But more than that, I didn't even think about the townspeople. They formed a mob. They're wanting to kill me. And this is where we hear from Gideon's dad steps in and says, hey, if Baal is really a god, then let him defend himself. Let him speak up. Now you hear that and you go, hey, way to go, Joash, you're right. But wait a minute. Why do you have an idol in the first place? If you know that Baal is just not a real god and you are aware that the real god is God, why do you have this idol? Well, again, before we move in judgment, use this to evaluate our own lives. Because many times that's how idols creep in. You, you don't realize it. You, you don't think about it. It's just part of culture. It's just what people do, right? Uh, double check that math. You know, pray through your house. Pray through your possessions. It's worth it. It takes five minutes. If nothing is pointed out as bad, then you're clear. If something's pointed out, get rid of, hey, get rid of it. It's not worth it. Kathy and I do this periodically. We do this for ourselves. We do this for our children. We do this for our grandchildren. We just, you know, hey, it's just double checking here. We, we live in a culture that is really moving away from God in several ways. And over time, it just creeps in and you just collect this stuff and, you know, you don't need it. Well, great, then get rid of it if it's, if it's not of God. And you may be surprised uh, how some dynamics will change. But listen, um, this has already been a theme here, and this is really rings true with how God revived my life, my marriage. Um, when I was praying for revival years ago, the Lord said, oh, I'll answer that prayer. I'm like, good, better sermons, more children's workers, more people in the congregation, tithing will go up. Like the Lord says, no, I don't care about any of those things. Well, I think he does care about those things, but he says, you're praying for revival. Yeah, that's my version of revival. No, my version of revival has to do with your heart. Lord put me on my face for five days. I couldn't get up. I couldn't eat. This wasn't a planned fast. This was uh, unplanned. And I love to eat. So this was really the Lord. And I'm like, I thought revival was going to be, and no. Pray for revival. It's a great prayer. We need revival. But just be aware that revival doesn't start with everyone else. It starts with us. It starts in our own heart. And our God will be faithful to care for you but he will also be faithful to provide for that. So Gideon's learned some lessons here. I think he's able to think a little more clearly. The idols are gone. Again, I'm kind of going quickly through the narrative, but if this interests you, and I think some of you actually have Gideon-type words upon you, you should maybe become experts in um, this kind of faith. So um, Gideon is praying and he says to the Lord, uh, if you're truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised, prove it to me in this way. And this is kind of a famous part of scripture. And, um, you know, maybe you haven't heard of Gideon, maybe you have, but maybe you've heard of this story where he puts out a fleece and he wants it to be wet and then God does that and then he wants it to be dry well, I've titled this The Battle Over Unbelief. And that's kind of where I want to aim for today. And I feel comfortable bringing this to you for one reason, because I know you believe. I know this is a place of belief. And you're probably thinking, well, then why are we talking about unbelief? Well, I don't know about you, but 
I'm someone that believes, but I can relate to the man that took his son to Jesus and said, Lord, if you are willing, the Lord said, hey, uh, anything is possible to him that believes. And the man had the wherewithal and the understanding of our human condition to say, Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. Isn't it crazy how both can be in there? Kind of like the syncretism of Joash having, knowing who the real God is, yet having an idol to a false God. Both are there. That's crazy. It's crazy when we think about it. But it's the reality of our broken human condition. Of course, God doesn't want that. God wants to clear us and heal us of that unbelief. And so you can read this and, you know, the first time Gideon prays, God does it. Second time, Gideon, I I love, I I underlined it here. Then Gideon said to God, please don't be angry with me. (laughs) You know, I I had unbelief and yet you did it. So I'm going to ask again, (laughs) just to make double sure. Now again, I, you know, it's easy to say, oh man, Gideon, come on, get with it, believe. But I can relate to this and maybe I'm the only one, but I'll I'll go first and I'll say, you know what? I get this because God has done miraculous things for me. I've seen it, I've been part of it. I've experienced it. And then like a week later, I'm like, Lord, if you could only, what? Did I forget what God did a week ago? Yeah, he can do it again. Well, but here's another thing, and this has to do with leadership, and there's a huge call on leadership here. And many of you are young, future leaders. I don't want to scare you with that term, but Gideon is feeling some pressure here, like, okay, you know, I go tear down the idol in the center of town, my father's house, you know, I can make them mad, I can make it, but now, God, you're asking me to lead the whole country into battle? If I'm wrong, this is not going to just cost me my life. I'm now making decisions here that will cost a whole, but potentially a whole bunch of other people. I don't want to be wrong. And I can understand getting saying, Lord, please don't be mad, but I got to check the math on this one because this is more than just me. Well, Leaders, here's the good news. God's not mad. (laughs) And this didn't even make God mad. Now, I I agree with all the sermons that I've heard and maybe you've heard too that, hey, don't do this, don't test God, don't put fleeces, you know, I'm talking about something different. I'm talking about God calling you into life decisions and you wanting to get confirmation and knowing that God knows that we need that. He's not obligated, doesn't have to do it. But here we have an example of God saying, Gideon, I know you need this, so I will give it to you. And here's another thing. As I talk about the call on this place, and many of you young, that if the Lord should tarry in his return for us, you have many years of ministry ahead of you. <laughs> You know, 50, 60, 70 years, who knows? And the multiplier effect of that uh, is amazing. Now that alone is significant. And so I want you to have confidence now, today, and to learn these lessons that come from this uh, confidence. Number one, God reduces Gideon's army from 32,000. He does form an army. He's like, okay, great, I'm gonna... God, good, you, you, you know, the fleece thing, wet, okay, dry, okay, God, you're with me, you're really gonna do this. So country, I'm the least of the least, but listen to me, God is calling me, everybody. So 32,000 people show up, you know, basically ragtag, I wanna say slaves, but, you know, they're, it's not an army, it's just 32,000 people that are sick and tired of having the Midianites steal all their stuff. So 32,000 of them show up. Gideon reduces them down. Those that are fearful, go home. Those that drink a certain way, go home. 
and uh, reduces it down to 300. Now, I, I love these kind of odds because <laughs> um, I've done some things that I feel are just this crazy. And, you know, I've had people and friends that care for me say, well, well gee, you are crazy. Um, with an army of 32,000, uh, you're going up against 135,000. Do you know the odds of that? That's crazy. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's crazy, but that's okay because I'm not even going to do it with 32,000. <laughs> I'm going to do it with 300. With 300? Are you really crazy? Well, yeah, don't worry about that because even the 300 don't know what they're doing. <laughs> so yeah, here we go. I, I, I love that. Now, it goes counter everything in my flesh. And that gives me confidence that it's the Lord. And of course, we know the end of the story and we can read and we can say, oh, great, glory to God. There's no way, but hold on a second because God had some important role for you and I and Gideon to play. So one more confidence boost. Uh, and Gideon didn't even ask for this one. But the Lord knew we need encouragement. And the Lord sent Gideon down to the edge of the army's camp. And he said, go listen to the dreams I gave him. And he and his servant went down to the edge of the camp and they hear the enemy talking about, what's this dream about what? It could only mean one thing. Gideon is going to defeat us. His God is with us. So they were already fearful. Do you realize as much as we may have to battle off fear, the enemy struggles with fear? <laughs> Do you realize the enemy's camp is divided? Do you realize that, I mean, sometimes I, I think we get intimidated as Christians. Stop that. We are the intimidators. And if you only could listen into the enemy's camp, you would realize how terrified they are of you. Not me, not pastor, not, you know, looking at the prayer team. No, of you. So if you don't believe that, ask God to give you that confidence. Ask God, just say, man, I need, I need a little confidence. Is the enemy really that terrified of me? <laughs> and God will give it to you. And here's the heavenly strategy. And I call it a heavenly strategy because I know this cannot come from man. It involves some pots, some trumpets, and um, so Gideon is explaining to these guys, hey, gather up all your clay pots, your torches, your trumpets, and follow me. And on cue, do what I do. Now, I call it a heavenly strategy for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, God hasn't really used that strategy again. It, it worked once and done. Kind of like marching around Jericho. I think that's a great way to take a city. Just march around it seven times. It's like, okay, that's the formula, right? No formula. No. Follow what God says. It's going to be new. It's going to be different every time. I love formulas. Holy Spirit doesn't. The Holy Spirit wants a relationship. And he wants different things than you and I want. Uh, I'll actually tell you a little insight I got from prayer just this last week. Um, I was kind of driving, and I went to turn on cruise control. This is in prayer. And my cruise control was disabled. And I'm like, how come it doesn't work? Lord says, figure it out. So I shared it with Kathy, and we prayed again. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> the Holy Spirit doesn't want me on cruise control. This is not an option with him. This is like, we're doing this together. We're in tune. Every bump, every curve, every turn, I, I can't just press a button and kind of chill out as, as much as I'd be tempted to. And maybe that's why the Holy Spirit took it away from me. He says, no, I know you. <laughs> you would use that cruise control way more than you should. Not an option with me. Not an option in relationships. Marrieds, young marrieds, Throw out the cruise control in your relationship, all right? Not a good thing. Be attentive, be aware, be there every moment. All right, so where are we? Um, oh, you read 
the narrative in scripture. And you don't have a download per se of this strategy coming from God. So if I asked you this question, hey, is it Gideon's idea or is it the Lord's idea? Well, definitively, we, we, went, we don't know. Um, I kind of get the idea by reading through it. They, it was Gideon's idea. Now, did the Holy Spirit have a role in this? Absolutely, huge. And the only thing I could base this on is I left one thing out. You know, the clay pots, genius. Torches in there, yeah, trumpets, amazing. Yeah, what a strategy. One more thing, shout. That needs to be on the list. What did they shout? Okay, they shouted for Gideon and for the Lord. There's a role for us. Not cruise control, not robots, partnership. I know that's not a great description. Relationship, maybe better description. This is how we exist. This is what the Holy Spirit goal is more than you and I making point A to point B. It's that relationship uh, with God. And by the way, the end of the story is the enemy is routed. It's not even close. It's not, it's, it's like God's people are like, well, that was easy. Where's the next one? Can we do it the same way? No, <laughs> no formula. But keep following, keep throwing out the idols. Keep worshiping God. Keep being in the right place, doing the right thing at the right time. And guess what? The enemy is routed. I mean, just one-sided, lopsided victory for God, victory for Gideon, victory for God's people. All right, uh, here's where we have to do a little bit of work, team. Uh, I wanna go after unbelief. Now, I know you are men and women of belief. And so we did a version of this yesterday, but I got a little diagnostic sheet here. And so this is where you and I are gonna evaluate, you know what, is there any unbelief in me? If there is, I want it out. You know, I'll, I'll tell a quick story. Um, I think I was talking to Eliza before the service and she got me to think of this story because it's been years ago now. But it was one of the first healings I was a part of and I was praying for a staff member that was dying of Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. And I felt terrible because I prayed for him on a Friday night and he had a breathing apparatus and could barely walk. And I, I, when he left, he just seemed in worse shape than when I started praying. <laughs> I'm like, oh Lord, I thought you said we're gonna see healing. I think I made this poor guy worse. And um, that was Friday night. Saturday morning, about 11 a.m., I get a phone call. And his name's Bill. And it was Bill on the other side of the phone. And he goes, John? I go, yeah? He goes, it's Bill. I go, oh, hi, Bill. And I was getting ready to apologize for you know, keeping him late Friday night. And he says, I'm healed. And the first words that came out of my mouth were, I don't believe it. I saw those words fly out. I wanted to grab them and pull them back. I don't believe, wait a minute. I'm the one that prayed last night with faith, with belief. God, did that count? Because here out of my mouth is flying the words, I don't believe it. I didn't even know that was in there. Well, I think we can all realize, yeah, I had belief because I prayed up a storm for his healing but I still had unbelief. Yeah, he was calling me to say, well, I'm just calling to see if I could give my testimony at church tomorrow. I'm like, well, yeah, <laughs> let me think about that one. You know, he walked up on stage and he didn't even speak and the whole church, you could just hear everyone gasp at once. It was just <gasps> sound because he was standing upright, no aid, no nothing. I mean, overnight, um, completely healed. And that's over 10 years ago. He's still alive today. So uh, that's, that worked, <laughs> one for the good guys. But I tell that story to expose, hopefully what we'll expose in this little diagnostic sheet here, 
just how deceptive unbelief can be. And if you're motivated like me because of your belief, that you're like, no, I'm I'm not playing with this one. I want all the unbelief out. Then just make a little mental note as I go through this, okay? So if you find yourself thinking or determining what God can do and what he can't do, um, what he will or will not do and how he does it, um, if, if you're like thinking, oh, I don't know if God could do that, you know, then what you do is just make a little mental check in that box. Say, okay, yes, that's who I am. If you find yourself looking inward to self uh, instead of upward to God, and I, I'm one of those doers. I, I'd be like a Gideon. I'm, I'm gonna make it happen because it's not happening. And wow, I, I have to be careful because... Um, that could be God, but it also could be unbelief. And if it's unbelief, I, I don't want it in my, in my life. Um, it can be masked by um, realism or intellectualism uh, or practicality. Definitely your unsaved friends and peers, they're like, hey, we believe in science. We believe in medicine. Uh, we believe in technology is the new force out there. So you have all that to battle through in our culture, but you and I, that can creep in. That could be one of those idols that you didn't even realize was there. And I'm not a anti-medicine guy. I'm like, I got aspirin in my medicine chest at home. You know, I always tell people this. I say, you know what? If you have a headache, pray. Wait five minutes, and if the headache doesn't go away, take two aspirin. Um, I quit telling people that because, man, I would get a lot of feedback. A lot of people would come back to me kind of angry, like, that is the dumbest thing I ever heard. I go, what? That thing about the aspirin, because I get headaches all the time. I'm like, oh, okay, Uh, well, thanks for letting me know. I was just trying to make a little point here about us being people of faith where we pray first. Well, that's what I did. I go, oh, great, what happened? My headache went away. I'm like, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? I'm not following now. Why are you mad? I've spent so much money. I, I don't use aspirin. I use prescription. Da, 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 you know, and I, I, I'm paraphrasing many stories. But I'm like, praise God. And they look at me and they go, how do you explain that? I'm like, how do I explain that? You're the one that did it. How do you explain it? You have authority. Pray. Yeah, it's, I mean, I appreciate medical science and all those services, I'm, I'm saying we'll use that, but Christians need to pray first, pray during, and pray after. This is who we are. So um, be careful. All right, did we cover these? Uh, can be masked. Um, uh, there may be, uh, oh, often if we do have unbelief, that really is what's fostering a critical spirit uh, or even a religious spirit. I'm not gonna talk a lot on that, but just if you see that come out of you, you're like, where is that coming from? Uh, it may be masking uh, unbelief. Okay, so hopefully you're tracking with me and we'll all have something to pray for if we go through this. Again, I will never ask you to pray for something that is not you, but if you can relate to any of these things, um, we would uh, need to uh, check, uh, check the box. Okay, I find myself being uh, disappointed, uh, even um, offended, And the enemy loves that because basically we always transfer that ultimately uh, to God. You know, like how come God doesn't answer my prayers like all these stories I hear. If you've had any version of that, kind of make a mental check of that box. Uh, I'm I'm not confident that I have, um, my eyesight is, is, I'm not confident that I have spiritual authority through Jesus. And again, Check that box because I know that's one of the gifts the Lord wants to give you today. Uh, I'm checking that box because I could use more um, of that confidence. Uh, I tend to be self-sufficient. I can definitely relate to that, but be careful if that crosses that line of of unbelief and independent of others. Uh, If I'm honest, I I tend to uh, be self-sufficient and independent of God. That's the ultimate that the enemy wants. Uh, I perceive people and uh, I think that says circumstances as impossible rather than possible with God. I think we could all probably check that box. All right, a couple more. Um, 
prayer is usually the last resort. Again, the little aspirin story I told you. Uh, I, I try to figure things out and I work through them uh, for myself. And um, so if that's you, check that box. I fall into habitual uh, patterns or behaviors or addictions. And many times those coping mechanisms, we're, we're reacting to those and we're embarrassed about those and we're focused on those when really what is driving that is a form of unbelief and God being your provision and sustaining you. All right, I think my circumstances, uh, I take my, uh, what does that say? I think my attitudes, uh, help me out here. What does that one say? Can you read it? Oh, there, I think my situation, sins, fears, and marriage. We're gonna look at the big screen. I feel like I'm at the eye doctor here. Is that one better? Is that one better? It's like, okay, okay, I can see this one better. Uh, spiritual family will never change. Um, visible circumstances have a stronger influence on me than do the written words, spoken words, uh, or uh, the character of God. Uh, why are we going after unbelief? Well, hopefully I built a case for you, but l- listen, when there's unbelief, it hinders God's presence and the release of the activity of the Holy Spirit. Many, I shouldn't say many, the first healings that really happened that I was, got to be part of, I wasn't even praying for healing. There was just such a Holy Spirit atmosphere that people came back later and reported, hey, did you know I got healed? I go, no, what, what'd you get healed of? I didn't even know you needed healing. The Holy Spirit presence. Now, what drives away the Holy Spirit? Unbelief. So uh, again, not, not the other sins you think but definitely this is one worth um, going after. Okay, it, why are we going after unbelief? It, it opens the door to taking offense. Church, we need to be able to live unoffendable. I love your service here because it's saying, God, forgive us. We want to welcome as we've been welcomed. Uh, and God's going to answer that prayer. And guess what? New people coming here, they're going to park in your parking spot. They're going to sit in your assigned seat. You know what I mean, right? It's going to be easy. Okay, well, I'll love new people. I won't be offended. Amen. But if you're offended, it's going to come out your pores. You can put on a smile like, oh, Jesus loves you. Why'd you park there? I always park there. Everyone knows I park, you know, okay. Uh, We need to be unoffendable. Um, Okay, it desensitizes God's people to the Holy Spirit and to spiritual things. And we've seen such gifting here. We are so excited about the people we've met here that um, this is motivation enough for me to pull this and go after it. It also creates some skepticism and and some um, critical attitude. So I just want to lead us, if you checked at least one box, then you can join me in this prayer. Um, And if you check more than that, don't feel bad. I kind of pulled the ones that really hit home to me. And I just want them out of my game. So I want to lead us through just a quick prayer. And here's the outline. We're going to repent of our unbelief. We're going to receive or forgiven. We're going to rebuke it out of this place. And can I say the work you're doing, yes, it's for you. But I believe it's for your whole church. EMKM, it doesn't matter. We're, we're going to consecrate the space and it's gonna move with you when you move, okay? So don't worry about that. It's like, do we need to do it again at the new place? Probably wouldn't hurt, but you don't have to. It's gonna move with you, all right? And we're gonna replace that unbelief with even more belief, even more faith. Are you in? Do you wanna do it? Wanna be free of this? It's a joy robber. So you're gonna have more joy come back. And guess what? The Holy Spirit is gonna be mighty in you and you are gonna see amazing things. Let's stand together and let me lead you. All right, brave, courageous, faithful ones. And prayer team, come on up here. Repeat after me in Jesus' name. name, I repent repent of any unbelief. unbelief. Lord, I believe. I believe. believe. But help my unbelief. unbelief. I confess it now. now. And I receive. I I am forgiven. forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. For your shed blood, blood. 
and your victory over unbelief. So I command unbelief be gone out of my mind, out of my body, out of my relationships, out of my ministry, out of my church, out of the space that I'm in. Be gone and never return. Holy Spirit, fill me with more belief, with more faith, with more confidence. I am a person of action. I love you, Jesus. And you love me. So I will walk in this. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Hey, we're going to end uh, this way. We're just going to have a time here. This is, these are um, amazing all-star prayer team up here. And there's only four of us. But um, maybe you weren't here over the weekend and you didn't get any original design. Uh, we thought, well, let's just do one or two quick words over you. And if you have a way to record it, we'll just speak into your phone. Or, um, But here's what um, you may happen. It may just be a word like Gideon got, mighty hero. But we're just going to say what we hear the Holy Spirit say over you. It may be a couple things. It may be a couple more things. But as we learn today, um, the revelation is the easy part. The hard part is the belief. And Gideon struggled with that. That's okay. You might struggle with that. I get it. I struggled with this when the Lord did it to me. And he was very patient and very kind. And those were lessons that I'm, I'm so grateful I, can, I have learned and I can talk about. Um, well, that's all we want to do for you, is we want to just speak a couple things over you and we'll spread out a bit. And so if you are willing and able, come on up and, and